0: I'm Jason P. Woodbury, and this is the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast, our weekly interview series. That was a segment from Elemental Crux, from Earthseed, the new album by my guest this week, Lisa E. Harris, along with her collaborator, Nicole Mitchell. It was recorded live at the Fullerton Hall at the Art Institute of Chicago in 2017, and features the Black Earth Ensemble, an all-star collection of Chicago improvisers and free jazz artists backing up the two composers. Earthseed was inspired by the work of Octavia Butler and will be released June 22nd on what would have been the late Butler's birthday. It's the third album from Mitchell to draw from her work, and it also represents a return for Lisa Harris. An interdisciplinary artist, composer, and activist from Houston, Texas, Harris had been at work on an opera called Lilith before even learning of Butler's work, but says that learning of her science fiction opened up new worlds of thought for her. Transmissions is, like everything else we do at Aquarium Drunkard, sponsored by our patrons. Head over to Patreon and look up Aquarium Drunkard to learn more. I started my talk with Lisa Harris with a pretty simple question. What is it like to release an album in a year as strange, fraught, and intense as 2020? Here's what she had to say.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Well, it feels really crazy because it's just... um, Well, you know, we're all in our homes and it's just day to day. So I, I haven't seen anyone really for months or like my collaborator, Nicole or the team or anything. So it's just really, um, it's, I guess it's exciting too. In a way I, I, June is here. It's we're we're already here. So it's just kind of like, Oh, time is fast passing so fast. And now it's time for the album to come out. So, um, I think it's, pertinent and hopefully people will be listening
0: a lot of people um you know either pushed their album back or um moved their schedule around but you all you you all didn't didn't do that with this record right
1: no we didn't we, we kept the date um we kept the date and just move forward with it i well we were really um we were set on the date of the release being in June, June 22nd for the digital release, and then June 26th for the physical uh, worldwide release, because June 22nd is Octavia Butler's birthday. And so we really just were still committed to that um, honoring.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: You posted on, on your website that that you have made the decision not to engage in any live performances online during the pandemic um, yeah you wrote I'll, I'll try to direct quote here and he said I, I will not share my life performance in the same space that death performance is being created distributed and consumed um, this is a this is a live record um, and, and I wondered if with people confined to their homes uh, for the most part you uh, this record exists to some degree in that same space that you were talking about, and I wondered how, uh, you know, if, if there was any part of you that felt uncomfortable with that idea, or if or if you've kind of made peace with it in terms of people uh, coming to this record, however they can, you know.
1: I actually I have no there I have no problem with the there's there's no conflict with my statement and my response to the. The, the recent murder of George Floyd, um, which was my response about um, not performing any live performances online during the pandemic, was in response to that. And it doesn't conflict with, um, with the album at all because the album is a record of a live performance that happened mm-hmm. um, in 2017. I'm talking about, my response is about, engaging with because every day you know i am constantly asked during the pandemic to figure out a way to perform live to continue like in this uh stream of like um content creation for consumer viewership that has to be like live engaging energetic people can see you people can hear you in the moment in real time and i feel and that my response is about engaging in live performance during the pandemic not previous, not any live performance that has previously been recorded. Or, I mean, you know, people, um, I think other people have asked me about that too. Um, and I I appreciate the sensitivity around it. Like, you know, Oh, is it okay if we, um, is it okay if we show or share this performance that you, that you recorded in March or this, you know, that's why I dated my statement too, Mm. um, May 27th. Um, Because I'm talking about giving my like what is being asked of performers right now and what is being asked of performers right now is access to our very moment, our living moment. Yeah, there's there's like a little um, little boundaries between what we had before and we had some kind of boundary, which which a normal record setting would still have, which our record setting hopefully still will have where we make something and then we have a date that we put it out and we share it then. But because of um, one of the phenomena of being in the, this pandemic and our restrictions on public space and our restrictions on um, access to regular. um normal human rights, people are looking for other things that they want access to. And I think the immediacy of life, the immediacy to be able to, like, go into my child's home and see them or my my students' home and see them immediately to make sure that they're there, even even though that they're engaging on a device, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, much like we are now. Some places and some institutions, that's not valid unless they can see you and hear you at the same time. You know, or that's not valid unless they have a controller. Like, no, no, um, no backdrop screens. Or, you know, there's all of these new rules
0: yeah. that
1: are being constructed that, in, that are, like, confining and, and, and coming down upon, like, our sense of security and space around ourselves. So my response is really about engaging in any, any live performance. I Like, gigs. Yeah, you know, yeah. making gigs, making this my new. Oh, I'm a digital live performance artist now. No, I don't. I'm not ready to to be that. Just because there is a push for that in some kind of consumerist market, I'm not ready to make that. And I'm not. And I know that there is um, a lot of people are, are doing that. There was a jump. There was a response. A kind of a, a quick flitch response. A quick twitch response is what I meant to say. Um, of how do we adapt new space? How do we adapt? How do we do this? How do we do that? And there was this moment of not pausing and just quickly trying to fit our one way we were doing something into another space. I'm really interested in, in taking the pause. I think this is something really serious that's happening to us. And it is very important for me to stop and, and be where I am when I, when I'm there.
0: Yeah. 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 The response to what we saw in the... In, well, the pandemic threatened to disrupt the way we understood things, you know, and, and of course it has disrupted the way we understand things. Uh, uh-huh. But I, I do think it's very interesting what you're talking about, that there was a moment um, where people had to make the, the quick choice to, to not feel uncomfortable or to live with the discomfort, you know? Um, yes. And, and, and I wonder... First and foremost, does it does it make you miss live performance? It makes me curious about
1: when the next live performance will be, yeah. what it will be like, yeah, and and how live performance is actually going to change. I'm actually, it's like a super, it's like a the the gestation gestation of like a long distance relationship or something like that. Like, Oh man, what's it going to be like when we're finally together? Like how more, how much more, um, present will we be? Right. What, how does, how does this time being apart or being, being alive? Let me say that. How does this time of being alive inform the time of us being alive together in the future. That's so important. It is, it is super important. It's delusional. I I feel like it would be delusional for me. Let me add that because everybody has their own personal response and I respect every, you know, I respect everyone responding in the way that's most appropriate for them. But for me, I would feel definitely um, wrong in my in myself to miss this opportunity of being present like i am we are always performing
0: yeah
1: i am performing
0: yeah
1: i am performing my life
0: yeah
1: and during pre pandemic i would have the i'm i'm very focused on performing my life well and to and to and and to the betterment of it and the quality of it and also being, and, and that's, I've looked a lot of that, I've looked at that a lot in my life as being also a performer and a performing artist. So I've looked at what is performance? How am I performing in life? How, what does my human performance looks, look like? What does my optimal performance look like to myself? And all of that is not for the audience. Yeah. All, all of yeah. that is not for a consumer audience. A lot of that, most of that is for me. Right. Most of that is for my my own observer the great observer and you know it's private yeah it's a it's a personal journey and then that actually I'm allowed that we are allowed our life to be able to then bring something to the market yeah. to be able to bring something to show and tell or to the to the gathering
0: that's to right. share that's right you know
1: yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's just really i i I'm excited about what our performance is going to be like after this. I'm excited for people to hear this memory because it's a memory now. It's a memory for, for, it's a memory period. It might be, even if you hear it for the first time, Jason or anybody hears it for the first time, it's a new experience for them. But then as soon as they hear it, it becomes a memory for them. Yeah. And, but, but when we created it, it's a memory for us. And we have just a little bit more space away from that, that initial moment of knowing than where we are now in the present. And so that those intervals get to, are changing and they're like rippling and, and, um, overlapping as, as in our humanity, as we're weaving together in time and space, we all have like a different distance from a memory or from a knowing of a thing that makes our collective existence more rich it
0: makes it multidimensional. You, you have, you, you know, you alluded to the fact that this is, this is a memory for you because this captures mm-hmm. a very specific moment. Um, yes. And, and I wondered if we could go back to I, you recorded this in I think it was 2017. Is that right? Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah. So, you know, there's. A tremendous band on this record uh, you know a lot of aquarium drunkard readers and listeners will be familiar with people like Ben Lamarga and Tamika uh-huh. Tamika Reed I, I'm curious what kind of discussions you and your collaborator Nicole had with the group uh, leading up to this show and I, and I wonder what was the preparation like how how long did you all spend working on what we ended up, you know, hearing as as that memory on on this record, what was the process like, if you don't mind? Yeah,
1: I don't mind. Um, Nicole and I were in a discussion. We started the collaboration um, way early, like way before the June twenty second, two thousand seventeen premiere. Uh, and it actually started the germation of it started with a conversation in twenty sixteen. Mm. So that's when we started building the atmosphere for what it will be. And then the, then the piece started like forming itself and revealing to us what it was going to be through our conversation. And like over the course of that year, Um, our performance was a direct commission from the art Institute of Chicago um, for a special, um, they had acquired a collection of uh, visual artists, Colleen Smith's, Reading list: Human 3.0 reading list, uh, which is a beautiful collection. If you don't, if people aren't familiar with Colleen Smith's work, um, she's phenomenal. So um,
0: yeah, we're we're going to include a link to um, to a, 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 you know a, a gallery of, of of the of the books that she did these representations right. of uh, very fa- exactly. i mean a, a, an incredible reading list a lot of stuff i'm unfamiliar with and, and but the stuff that i'm familiar with leads me to believe that the rest of it's probably pretty mind-blowing as well same
1: same like i when i saw the show and she made these drawings um with pencil and paper um and color pencils of of a list of a, a human li- a, a mandatory reading list basically she made drawings and about 30 of them and a lot of the books I didn't know at all. Um, but I did know, uh, the Octavia Butler books. And so Nicole and I had already been in the conversation about that. So yeah, this was an opportunity for us to realize this piece and this, um, this dream uh, to, to flesh out this idea that we had, that had already started. Um, and, and we live in different places. I'm in Texas at the time. Nicole was teaching in California and also living in Chicago and going back and forth. But we, uh, when we started to work on the piece, it was in 2017. Um, it, um, when we started to like buckle down and like narrow down the ideas, um, it started remotely over the phone. It started over video and we would dedicate time to just sit together and compose together. So it, it started with a conversation, then it started with meetings of us two. And I guess the last part of the proje- the process, um, an early part of the process also had to do with um, a middle part of the process, let me clarify, had to do with the orchestration. Yeah. So once we got the ideas together and, and the atmosphere and the bones, then we had to start to get the digits together, the fingers, the toes, and like what what's the orchestration, you know, and thinking about um, who's going to play this music. Nicole is a fantastic, um, renowned band leader and um, ensemble leader and with her Black Earth Ensemble. So she has been putting together chamber music ensembles uh, as the Black Earth Ensemble, different orchestrations for years. So she had, she said, you know, there are some players that I, I... could suggest for this instrumentation, like, that she really, um, had a good, a good sense for, uh, in Chicago. And I remember particularly with, uh, um, we were thinking about, um, higher orchestrations and thinking about whether we wanted guitar, some kind of higher strings, electronic strings or something like that or horns or what kind of horns that would be. And I do remember, and I hadn't met Ben Lamar gay at that time at all, but, um, I had only met Tamika Reed out of the ensemble before previously, but I remember thinking, Oh, well we definitely need horns here. And my only reason for that was because, uh, the angels play horns.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that
1: was, that was reason enough for, and that was the perfect, I mean, it was a great choice. The the, it's what it was supposed to be.
0: You are on vocals and electronics and uh theremin. Um, yes, to what degree uh, were you all improvising on stage, if any, or was everything you know uh, written out and uh and orchestrated and, and sort of scripted?
1: A, a great deal of the I would say half and half, yeah. a great deal of the work is improvised, so that's why we. Um, collaborated with improvisers uh, um, particularly but um, um, sections of the work were through composed so we used a combination of through composition like traditional um, through composition and also graphic composition and um, and also um, and also directives like through through our rehearsals of um, oral cues and oral composition of what happens when. So we used a a real gumbo of techniques, Uh, but there is definitely, like, you know, when you hear it again, there will be things that you definitely are like, I know what piece this is, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But there will always be an element of something new.
0: Sure. When mm-hmm. w- what what kind of electronic manipulation were you doing?
1: I um, me myself, I'm using a theremin, and um, my theremin was also being a uh, Ben was mani- Ben had control over. He was also using theremin. Enough uh, theremin. Sorry, electronics, and was um, and Nicole was using electronics too. So he was he would kind of like. Incorporate whatever live playing that we did back into the sound, so you might hear some kind. Of, I wasn't using effects in that way, so but yeah. some of my electronics were being affected in that way by uh, the other ensemble members. Um, I I use a Roland um, SP555, which is a sampler, um, which I have a lot of sound um, selections on there and sound bites and clips. Um, different atmospheric sounds. I don't want to like give away all of my secret ingredients, don't, but, Yeah, don't, um,
0: don't ruin the mystery. Just, I was yeah, just curious, well, yeah.
1: <laughs> but that is the kind of electronic that I use. Yeah, I use, um, a,
0: yeah.
1: a sampler that has triggers on it and it does have, um, different synth and, um, and delay pedals built in.
0: You, you met Nicole at the, the new quorum composers residency in, in new Orleans. Um, when when was that?
1: That was 2016.
0: Yeah, so that's that when was you, that's, January
1: 2016.
0: That's when you had first met. Yes. I I have to fight the urge to ask you if she felt like a kindred spirit, given that you two have collaborated on a work centered on the work of Octavia Butler. But um, but I have to imagine that that's what I mean. How quickly did did you recognize? Oh wow, this this is somebody who I could really work with.
1: We recognize that, like, within, like, the first three days or something. I mean, we already – we we liked each other. Yeah. We got a, we got along, and we're like, oh, yes, sister, and that's my sister. This is – you know, we feel that. Yeah. And as musicians and as artists and, like, people that are, you know, working in the fifth dimensions and beyond, like, we – when we feel – I know I can I'm say we, but I, I feel like I can speak for her in saying this. I know this about myself, that when I feel somebody – can that I can communicate with them on a certain frequency I already am like oh, okay we're here
0: yeah
1: okay great I mean that's kind of how I've been directed through space in my life um, is from point to point and from from uh, gravitation one gravitational pull to the next and from memory to memory and and meeting Nicole was an epic time of like oh we're here oh we're all here now so this is what then we figure out what, we're, what why we're there together, why the universe has brought us there together. And um, I definitely felt that with Nicole early on. We shared music after one of our residency dinners one night. Because we were there. It's a residency for composers and writers. And we were there to work on whatever we wanted to individually. And everyone was kind of doing their own thing. It was our first week there. Um, and just getting to know each other. You know, Nicole, she's very outgoing. Um, which I really admire about her, and she's she said, "Hey, let's let's share some music." And she was telling me about her Xenogenesis Suite that she had been working on in the um, based on the writings of Octavia Butler. And I was like, "Wow, you know, I was gosh, I just uh, I'm writing something too called Lilith." And um, even though my I've been writing this opera Lilith for a while. It, it. Another friend of mine, um, a good friend of mine, Alicia Wormsley, who's also a a visual artist, uh, interdisciplinary artist, and cultural producer. uh, She when when I was working on Lilith, she listened to it and she said, "Oh my gosh, you totally! Oh, so you're studying Octavia Butler?" And I had that was in 2012, and I had never. So it was another with that moment with Alicia Wormsley. It was a similar moment I had with Nicole Mitchell in 2016. Alicia Wormsley heard the work and recognized Octavia Butler's aesthetic or message in the work, and I had I wasn't even familiar with the with her novels at that time. So oh, because wow. a friend who I trusted and who also works uh, interdimensionally recognized this, it led me to read the books, and I started reading Octavia Butler's books, and I I remember having like just the out of body experience because I thought, whoa. Whoa, oh my gosh, here. I thought I was, I thought these were uh, original ideas. I didn't know where these ideas were coming from in my creative process. And I'm reading this and they were so parallel. They were even down to the name of the character I was writing about Lilith. So when I met Nicole, she played me using Genesis, which she had she knew and was grounded in, in that it was based off of the works of Octavia Butler. And I shared with her my Lilith recordings and studies that it had been revealed to me years before that was similar to that led me to Octavia Butler. Wow. And when we played our music for each other, it sounded so similar. The yeah. music itself was like in the same and similar keys the music flowed seamlessly. We, I listened to hers, and I said, you're not going to believe this. I'm going to play this recording, and it sounds a lot like this. And she listened to mine, and my recordings was just a piano and voice. And her recordings was a chamber ensemble, the Black Earth Ensemble, but the orchestration, the voice leading, the textures, the key centers, we played them at the same time, and our minds were blown, and we said, oh, okay, so we're supposed to do this yeah. together. That's how
0: it happened. What do you? I mean, I guess I already tried to get you to spoil one mystery earlier by asking <laughs> you what what you what you had made, but um, I'm so drawn to the idea that you uh, you heard resonances of your own thoughts and your own themes and the stuff that you had been exploring on your own in the work of Octavia Butler, but that yes. that you know that that it didn't happen in a in a linear way. You didn't. Uh, you you were thinking Butler things before you had read Butler. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what that feeling was like? You know the, the how how mind blowing that might have felt.
1: I can tell you about that. That was um, that was one of the most. <laughs> I it, I almost was about to say one of the most religious experiences, ironically, but one of the most spiritual experiences that happened to me. Um, in reading um, Octavia's trilogy Lilith's Brood after my friend pointed me towards those books in 2012 um, actually and actually, my friend uh, Alicia Wormsley pointed me, the first book she sent me to was Kindred and then The Parable of the Sower, The Parable of the Talent and I got to Lilith's Brood um, because I wasn't ready to look at it directly I was like oh it says Lilith, I was like oh she probably just thinks because my opera's called Lilith there's a connection there but I, when I read it, I was crying. I cried tears. I went to my mother and I, who I have been, um, I had been writing this opera in chunks and, and sharing it with my mom. So I had two acts already written. I had one act and then I waited like a year and I, I went to France for a, a residency, um, like in 2009. And, um, and I woke up from a dream and had another chunk. So I had these two major downloads. The first part came to me in 2008. The second part came to me in 2009. A story that was just, it had no roots for me. It was, I couldn't tie it to myself. It was definitely, um, a creative story mm-hmm. and fiction. Yeah. And I, I never knew myself or I never practiced a kind of a fiction, um, uh, writing practice. I didn't have that. Yeah. I'm more of a documentarian, um, or Psalmist and things like that. So it was fiction and it was kind and it was about aliens and alien birds. And I just knew the, I just knew all the details in two chunks wow. a year apart. And I would tell that to my mother when I read the book, when I read, uh, the trilogy, Lilith's Brood, I was crying because it, the parallels were so, ah, uh, they were, it just, I felt it in my, I felt it in my, I got like, I felt it in my spine and, and I remember crying and telling my mom, like, what is wrong with me? Is this like a haunted story or something? And what is this? And listen to this writing of this woman. And, and I believe her. Yeah, I believe her. Like I, I believe it. Like when you remember your dream and you were there and you can remember the sensation, like a dream I had when I was on a rocket ship. And I can I can recall it to you. And I everything in my cellular memory puts me right back there.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and that is how I felt in, in some of these, in, in some of the instances, enough of the instances in reading her book. And I said that to my mom. And my mom told me, um, well, Lisa, I don't think you should be afraid. Yeah. She said, I think that whatever... She said, I think that the story wants to be told. And so the story will find storytellers to tell it. So maybe the, the same story is finding who different storytellers, whoever can tell it, and in different ways it will get told. Yeah. And that was like the most affirming, um, affirming development. Uh, in my artistic, in my artistic and creative development, because it it reaffirmed, um, it reaffirmed a, a, a true gift, a true gift that's also been like more of a hidden gift of like um, intuition yeah. and dreams and like ethereal gifts, the ephemeral gifts that that aren't like you know cate- categorized in the contemporary art museum or something or wherever else I I might work or the concert hall. But that that are really the the true gifts, and to see that parallel, and to see the, the the guidance and the way a way in which Octavia Butler maximized her voice was so inspiring. And to have that support from my mom, it just like it was transformative for me to really stretch a little bit and expand um, in the in in the ways the ways to tell a story.
0: You used the term. Um download to describe to, to, to describe you know the these works sort of arriving to you fully not maybe not fully formed but I mean to you know a, a, with a shape a definite shape had had that sort of thing happened uh, to you before or since
1: well I def- yes I would say um, I would say yes but in this particular instance I knew, It was, um, it was a, it was a story. Like I do remember starting wanting to create something about, about Lilith. I remember wanting to create something. And so I had that idea, but with no form. Yeah. And with that idea kind of there, then when I had these downloads, uh, through my dreams, I knew that that was a realization of that first idea of that first, desire that sure. I wanted to do what I want it to do. That's so I'd say that like that was that's unique in that instance in that I was like oh it's like for me saying you know I want to make um a gluten free vegan shepherd's pie and yeah. I've never done it but I'm gonna just put that idea out there and see how what inspirations form to make that happen you know so it was like that sure, and, and, and the predetermination with an idea, yeah. But in other instances, I I have full stories that come to me. All right, not, not even stories I wouldn't call them, but full histories. Yeah. Even I would say full experiences that come to me in dreams. Um, and I've I have always been an active, vivid dreamer, and um, writing down my dreams. I have also a wonderful dream mentor who I met later in life. And um, who kind of guided me along the ways of um, recognizing and and understanding through a dream practice of understanding and understanding my dreams a little bit more, being able to incorporate them in my work.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you view that as a process of understanding yourself? Uh, is, is, that, is that the way you sort of interpret that idea? Or do you feel like, to some degree you're also understanding maybe forces outside of yourself or ideas outside of yourself.
1: I think it's both Jason. Like it definitely gives me more idea about myself. I mean, and then like standard, uh, dream psychoanalysis is like everybody in your dream is you. Like there's some like, right. um, Jung and Freud. A lot of people would say that. Sure. I, I don't think that those, I, I'm They, are, they say a lot of things and they're very, smart people, uh, but I don't think <laughs> it's, it's limited to that. Sure. Like I, I, I can prescribe, I can understand that part. And I, and I look at my dreams in that way I, as one way in, um, in application in trying to, in analysis, I will go and say, okay, let's look like if everybody in my dream is me, what does it say about me? Yeah. What does that person say about me? What does this person say about me? Da, da, da. And then I take it, take that out. So it's a little bit of both what it tells me. And then also what it tells me about an outside force dreams, are more. They tell me more about myself through place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They tell me more about place through like occurrences in time and like yeah, what is going on in my dream and um, through my uh, with the help and the guidance of my two of my mentors, Paulina Oliveros and Ioni. Um, the dream keeper, I've learned to also focus on sound in my dreams. That, so that's been a development in my practice. And as a yeah. deep, I'm a deep listener, deep listening practitioner. And yeah. a big part of that is listening to the sounds in your dreams. So before I've always dreamt and I'm like, what was I doing? Was a, chi- a tiger chasing me? And then what's the action? I was running and then I jumped into a pool and then what happened? And then I was screaming and nothing came out of my mouth or then you know, like, the little, we, we have the visual cues and then to like start looking around the dream to, to then like, how can we awaken a presence in your dream? Like you are dreaming, where can you see yourself and like, yeah. and if you're not, you're, and so recently even I started having these different kind of dreams very recently during the pandemic. I know a lot of people are, there's a lot of dream phenomena happening during the pandemic actually. And my dreams have changed where now I am I can see people, and then I can see as their point of view. Like, I can see through their mask.
0: Wow. Like pure- and
1: that's been really interesting.
0: You're, you're talking about the idea of almost, like, embodying the concept of empathy or something like that. You're, you're right. completely seeing through their... their- through their
1: face like even yeah. like or right through their temple even i would wow. say it was, if i were like the arm of their glasses you know i could kind of see there or like feel different and it's it's very strange I, even to say i haven't even said this to many people this just started happening about a, a month ago and it's kind of really appropriate and uh in this work because octavia Butler talked a lot about this
0: yeah that's this right
1: is, she talked a lot about um being able to yeah embody someone else and 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 experience that in that hyper empathy which is something that also the idea that the idea of in her writing of her talking about these aspects and giving names to them and um and and that kind of way normalizing them in a time yeah. now the time is a future time You know, when I read these books, then, and when she, when they're set, the time period they're set in. So it's a future time and a future, but that these are, these are valid and like, valid concepts. These things have names. So when I first read about the hyper empathy, that was like, um, that was like me, my identity being validated that was like you know yeah yeah oh oh we exist you know um oh and then it was it was it's powerful powerful affirmations of existence of like all kinds of people i
0: i think you um, i I think you hear that on 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 the song ownness on on this record this idea Mm -hmm. of just like um that by really seeing ourselves, it allows us to really see others as well. And by really seeing seeing others, it allows us to see our, ourselves, you know? And I think that mm-hmm. maybe that's one of the most radical elements of Butler's work, was the way that she, she she viewed these like hierarchies that we create that exist in all sorts of different shapes and exist mm-hmm. and, and look and act different ways, but nonetheless all serve the same sort of purpose of maybe convincing ourselves that, that we're the ones telling the story and that maybe other people aren't telling a story to the degree we are, you know, I don't know. I- right.
1: And how can we become active in that? You know, like activating yeah. your point of view. Yeah. That's what's super interesting. Yeah. That, that activation of the point of view, uh, not just a passive observer right. and our idea of like what it means what, so our, our idea and our relationship to being observed and also to surveillance is um, something that's at the core of my practice um, as a thereminist. And, you know, I'm not a classical thereminist at, at all. I came about this instrument just out of pure curiosity and also um, exploration. Like, I wanted to experiment, and and I want I needed a a different um, embodied practice, embodiment practice. And some of the things, but I'm also a teacher, so and working with all kinds of people um, that are verbal and also nonverbal people, uh, people on a wide spectrum of communication and age, and being able to communicate with them and hearing them and myself being heard I started working with this device, this theremin, and it's, um, we go through different processes, things I've been considering, like, uh, the theremin as a sonic witness and, um, you know, and, and subverting, subverting surveillance, um, and our relationship to it in a way that's empowering and and affirmative. You know, we hear a sound when we're in the mall and we're going through the door and then the, alarm goes off if the little tag is still the magnetic thing is still on our jeans or whatever. Right. You know, to alarm like, Oh, a possible theft or a possible misgiving, but there's never really a sonic trigger in that kind of way. That is a celebration Uh, of your arrival or of your being. Yeah. You know, and that is something that I like to explore with the theremin in performance, you know, we did this live performance. There's a lot of movement happening that, um, that I'm excited in the future when people get to see what's, what's happening is that, I mean, now, for now, people can imagine what's happening. You can hear some movement happening. There has to be something moving around that you hear in the recording, but there's a real movement that's happening as these ideas and these, this earth seed is like growing through us to, to, from the beginning of the piece to the end, it has to actually like move through our bodies and through the space. Right. And, um, and the theremin is such a wonderful instrument to help me demonstrate that, especially to young people. Um, and in my community, I live here in third ward in Houston, Texas, the same home of, um, George Floyd and, uh, birthplace, or sorry, the same where George Floyd grew up and went to high school. And, um, My kids that I teach in different communities, different programs, uh, mostly black kids and uh, black and um, Latino kids, but mostly black kids to bring the to bring experimental music into their frame is one thing. And it's awesome. And actually, it's it's not a huge stretch because kids are the best experimenters and improvisers. That's right.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: they're the best at that. But then to bring this device that sounds when their body moves, it's a real, it has taught me so much and understanding that about myself and and, and, and the, the liberation from the policing yeah. that my body has been under and that their little young bodies have been under by sound, sound that should be like, that is here and available to us to liberate us. Is also kind of a trigger of fear for for us and our and and puts us in a stillness and a and you know, um, a stiffness. Yeah. So yeah. we've been just looking at this instrument as a sonic witness. I don't know how I got on that on that tangent about that, but like really just changing. Yeah, the activation of the observer. Like yeah. it's actually there to help you. And who gets to tell the story? And jumping, jumping from point of view. Yeah, You know, um, yeah. we talk a little bit about that in our piece, Mirror, um, on the album, too, about the, the point of view, like jumping and kind of a calibration between outer and inner, outer and inner, outer and inner. How do we calibrate in and out of ourselves to just land and be OK right at, at the skin level, the skin really being like a barrier between our inside everything and our outside world? And and now, you know, like, that being such a representation of so much right now, you know, what is that even? Yeah. Skin, you know, but a bunch of cells with a lot of space in between them. Right. We are just, they're just vibrating particles that appear to be firm. It appears to be firm. But it's just as unfirm. Well, it's just... You
0: know, yeah. Sorry. No, no. That's that's such a, that's such an that's such an incredible thing, and I think that right now the, com- I mean, all of our notions about about identity and about race, uh, so often these are fixed things in people's minds they they okay. they view them as a as a as a solid idea to to the degree that you're talking about skin, you know they're not mm-hmm. always very conscious of the space that you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. and they're not talking about the mutability of the concepts, you know right that 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 we can uh, we can change the concepts the, the concepts are not, they're not set in stone. They're they're things we came up with, you know? Um,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: I think about that in terms of, of whiteness. I think about that in terms of, of blackness. I mean, these are things that we and, and and I don't I don't mean to say that they are not real, because they are real, mm-hmm. but they are but they they are not real because they're literal. They're real because they're the the, the tools we use to structure our thinking. And I feel like so much of what Butler Talks about is the ability to, I mean, change is the is the edict of Earthseed, you know. Mm -hmm. Change change is, change is what we fear the most. Change is also what could set us free from so much of our fears, you know. I don't know. It's a, it's it's a very strict. It's it's a it's a beautiful and um, complex conversation to have but
1: it is it's right that's it's 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 the elemental crux like what i mean not to even like that's one of the titles on our album too but that is what it is the elemental crux and it it's the thing exactly like you said that can it's the thing that can change us it can liberate us and and it is the thing that holds us together and and we in our fascinating that's what i like about uh, octavia butler too so much is that she puts our humanity in a broader context with the possibility of like um, other other consciousness yeah, that's non-human, so that we can see the limitations of humanity, so um, we can see, and, and the specialness of humanity, yeah. the identity. Here, we're like, we're with our humanity and nature um, and also constructs that are government and, and things that we can't, uh, institutions that we can't see, so if we're in... That for a lot of people, for a lot of people, because we can't see it, that's a limitation of our of our humanity, that we can't, that we don't believe that it's there. Right. And then one of the powers of our humanity, one of the strengths of our humanity is that our belief is the thing that makes things. So yeah. if we don't believe it's there, we can make it not be there for that's a while right. because if we believe that. Yeah. You know, we believe not. Yeah. But but we could also believe, you know, so it's, it's just, yeah, it's the crux of being human that, that in between this like super malleable thing, but there is this, um, idea of matter and energy. Yeah. It's not even an idea. There's just a a, a, a truth of matter and energy that, um, sir, that, Exist within every idea that that exist within physics. Yeah. Every physical thing, right? They're so, made of the
0: same. They're made of the same thing. Yeah,
1: they're made of the same thing. Um, and yeah, they're made of the same thing. And they operate in different in different ways. Right. I, I'm a filmmaker, and in one of my films, um, "Children of the Lost," uh, we look at the concept of dark matter versus dark energy, and. These are things that are they are activated and and performed in different ways. Um, you add in the the ingredient of like human interaction and human ability to understand, and they can be constructed to willfully, you know, in a certain way.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but 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 limited. Right. Limited. So um, yeah. There's. I I look at performance a lot and I, and I believe that everything performs everything with form performs. So it's something very interesting about this, um, crux that we're talking about and this, this kind of anxiety around change.
0: Yeah.
1: The anxiety around change, I believe is because we intrinsically know its power. We know, we believe, we all actually believe it. That's why there's even an anxiety around it.
0: Right. Um, Because it is. Yeah.
1: You know, that's, that's something like in the yes and no. There's, because it is, then we, and and we know that it is, then there can be a not knowing of it. Right. Because it is, you know, so there's, um, so I, I think that, that, that has to do, that, There's something temporal, this, this idea, this preciousness about time that I think humans are really, really, really connected to because if everything is changing and everything that has everything with form performs and it can actually like be with a little bit of like gust of wind, all of the particles can like disseminate and then recollect how they will and land somewhere else. And then there's something else, you know, that exists. Um, and it's there, but then it's really there once it's seen, or it's really there once it's known well, by something else. But it's
0: already Yeah, there. that's beautiful, and that's what, the, I mean, that's what the act of making music is to some degree. You're you're utilizing invisible forces, you know, the things that we know, that we understand are there, um, but they become something we can perceive, you know? Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: People talk about science fiction as a prophetic force a lot. Um mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say, though, that Butler was not only concerned with what would happen, but what was already happening and what's always happening. Um, mm-hmm. And, well, I mean, bef- before you read Butler, I mean, was was science fiction already a lens that you enjoyed looking through? I mean, are you kind of a sci-fi head bef- before you found her work? You
1: know, I, I, the term, I would say no. Like, the term, yeah. when I heard science fiction— I never thought it was something that I would be into. I actually thought it was similar to, which my friends always laugh at me because they think that I get these things confused. but I always <laughs> thought it was similar to um, like the dark crystal or like dragons and like things like
0: right <laughs>
1: things like that, like sure. things that would come on after cartoons. Yeah. that were very weird and kind of magical. But, you know, my friend's like, oh, that's a different category. That's fantasy. So for me, in my young mind, and hearing these concepts, you know, these titles, these names, I thought they they were in the same place for me. Yeah. When I read Octavia Butler, it was more like um, prophecy. It was more prophetic. And I didn't. I didn't think I, it, 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 reading Octavia Butler changed what I thought science fiction was not the opposite way. Like science fiction didn't change. She changed what I thought science fiction was. And then I realized that, Oh, I'm been living a science fiction life. Sure. Like that's what this is. It's, uh, it's, it's science fiction. It's, um, it's imagination and it's, um, you know and science is so it's technology and, and arts and creativity and there it's yeah it's music it's living it's i mean it is being black in america is a science fiction in its in itself yeah it is and the science of it that's what i think that, that that's what the tricky thing about language the science of it makes you think of one thing. Science thinks, like I said, technology. It's kind of like we assume different things based on language, but really, the science is the knowing.
0: Yeah.
1: Like the sci- science means knowing, and it's the knowledge of something, the consciousness, the with science of something, right? And um, and that I I and and I always thought about science fiction as being something in the future. Sure. Right um, ahead of, t- ahead of time. And the more that I live, I realize. okay, so the more that I live, I, um, I've been documenting my, my home where I live at now. I live in my grandparents' old home and I came to Houston and documented their, a little bit of their death and started making stories around their grief and their death of, and, of each other. One would die and then the other one would die and and centering it in a place, just just as observing. So that's, so, uh, I, I mean, I do have a, a movie out that's a couple of films called uh, Cry of the Third Eye and it's a three-part new opera film. And this is what, and I guess that's science fiction in that way, what I discovered in that process, it took me 10 years to make this trilogy, is that I had to witness, I had to understand death on a personal level. Like my grandfather had to die. And he was the first person that I ever knew part really closely that died. I had a high school friend that died. Of course, I knew people that died, like my mom's, my parents, friends and stuff like that. But someone I could feel in my self, their death, I could physically feel and not understand how I felt something leaving my body when he died. I yeah. had to understand my grandfather dying to really also understand science fiction because once he died and I could still know him or sense him and I could still like understand every go back in my memory and remember everything that he taught me from the moment I could remember meeting him or knowing him. Right. I, he met me when I was a baby, but I don't, the, the moment I can remember knowing him in everything into the present moment is then like an archive. And and that is something that now in the present I revert back to as like an archive. But where it, where it exists in the past and all the stories that he told me that went back further and further and further in history, they're going in one direction, but they're also kind of being projected forward. They very well might just be in the future. Yeah, yeah. You know? And that is something that... And I say being black is that experience for me because I am black. But maybe that is an experience for everyone. But I know specifically in my family that that is an an experience. Um, A lot of it is... And a lot of it is tied into the music.
0: You're talking about... You could put it in science fiction terms. Like, I mean, it's actually... I want to rephrase what I was just about to say. It's not that you could put it in science fiction terms. It's just that almost science fiction is the only thing that gives us terms that that can describe what you're talking about. You're talking. That's what I'm talking about. You're, exactly. you're talking about time travel. You know. You're talking yes. about. You're talking about. Um, you're talking about telepathy, maybe. You know. You're talking yes. about a kind of communication that that uh, transcends time, that transcends Absolutely. barriers that we perceive and and then it gets back to the idea of creation and imagination what if the barriers don't exist we can imagine that
1: we can imagine that and it's like right there and that's that's the thing that's what I, that's what i'm saying it was like
0: yeah. Yeah. kind
1: of a and it's demystifying like it, it right the thing of the thing about like not about not knowing that and that anxiety about change too is something i think it's so innocent and precious about the human condition, but it's very dangerous to tread so innocently with this thing. It's, it's really like a gaslighting of ourselves because we're not, we actually know it's, it's a little delusional. Like I, you know, I live in this house. I remember, um, my, my niece came over and, or another cousin or somebody, somebody that's also related to my grandparents and they would, and that knew them equally as well and had just as much love that they have a real memory that they can a real no a real knowledge that they can rely on and they came and they were like aren't you scared of living in this house yeah. like aren't you scared of their ghost and i yeah. was like were they maleficent people Were was i scared of them when they were living yeah. like why would i be afraid of them now and it's something in that change of form that yeah. transformation And because I can't see them or I and that, that makes, that I think humans like to play with that. I, I really believe humans like to play with that, um, oh, I mean, this is dangerous to say, but with that trigger, like, I feel like it's, it's an, it's a rush. It's an adrenaline. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's an innocence of, you know, of knowing something for the first time. Right. You know, it's we get and we're kind of it's like a controlled kind of a thing of like, you know. um, But as we know, with addiction, that is something if you keep chasing that, that's also that's a sickness. So there are new things happening, happening all the time that we don't have to trick ourselves into. Being afraid,
0: you know that I actually I have a quote here from Butler that I played on my uh, Aquarium Drunkard launched a radio station at the beginning of the pandemic and we've since closed it down. But I did a I did a show and and I pulled a clip of Octavia Butler speaking at a science fiction conference in the in the early two thousands, and mm-hmm. and and she says it's dangerous to assume that we can see the future. Um, and I think that what she was talking about is not what you're talking about. This idea that maybe. Maybe we can understand the future in a in a um, in a sense that it lightens us and and gives us you know less fear. I think what she was uh-huh. talking about was that people have an ability to surprise each other, and we have an ability to surprise ourselves. And I uh-huh. think that that is the um, I think that's the alchemical spark of the kind of. Um, Change that maybe you're talking about. That yep. that when you're surprised, you can be surprised and be afraid, of course. But mm-hmm. you can also be surprised and be curious and be wonder, one filled with wonder, and can be odd. Yes. You know. And I think that's. Exactly. It sounds like you're talking about a cultivation of that feeling, um, focusing on those feelings. Not the fear that you're in uncharted water, but the excitement that you're in a new thing. Absolutely,
1: new... and I feel like we access exactly. I feel like we access that, or it's been it's been accessed upon us. Yeah, you know, by entertainment and by uh, capitalism and consumerism and political reasons in all kinds of our environments. Limited ways, I will say that it's been the the ways in which we access those feelings have been limited, Mo- and, with a limited imagination, mostly surrounded around death. Yeah, it's been about death. We that is the thing that we know and it's the thing that we can be afraid of. But it's also the thing that we know as much as we know life. We know that for a fact we know death. So it's like it's, it's, it's like that. I agree with Octavia and say like it's dangerous. It's a it's a dangerous thing to even just pretend to be a fool. It's a dangerous thing to pretend to know, pretend to not know what we know yeah it's does it's not serving anybody it's 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 something that kids do that babies do and i and i work with babies and 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 i i'm i say this they and not i mean they're much smarter than us but it's something that babies do developmentally as they are developing their consciousness and their cognitive uh identity of themselves they they're developing choice it's the same time that they're learning how to say yes and no that they're like Oh, I can pretend to not know. That's them understanding yes and no. Yeah. But we have to get past that. We have to know what we know and get past that. It doesn't it's not helpful for us to pretend to not know what we know. It it it, do, it only serves it it is serving, but it's not serving of us. It might be serving of some some other thing or some other presence or some other entity. Yeah. For it to pretend that we, it's, you know what I mean? Like, um, from the outside first, for something else to pretend that it doesn't know something about us, yeah. but when it comes to uh, an individual, an individual cell has to know itself.
0: Yeah.
1: An individual cell has to know itself if it's going to live. And that is its only job really is to know itself. And that, and it's only, and the only job of a virus is to know it's to know that cell yeah
0: yeah for
1: it to live okay and that is the difference between dark matter and dark energy
0: yeah
1: you know but they they live in the same place and they all they are made of the same thing they're made of a knowing yeah but they're made of a knowing of dark matter right and they have to know dark matter and that's what we kind of look at in um the space within uh, on the album and um, we look at that a, a lot a lot and I've been thinking about that in words a lot too and in, in these years these decades of this last decade particularly in saying you know black lives matter and that that the pushback against that for so long and now it's become like unanimous we've like a, it's kind of uh, near near unanimous it's become yeah. more you know it's a it's it's being sang out a little bit more. It's not being as pushed back. I mean, they wrote the words on Pennsylvania Avenue. So it's right. like, it's different than it was four years ago, you know? And, and there's something I've always thought about that in like Black Lives Matter, you know, I always thought about, um, dark matter lives. Wow. And,
0: yeah.
1: and that, that is really a truth that's there. Even, you know, blackness being even, you know, constructed in that way from darkness, a close thing that's close to darkness. So we, you know, even me as a black identifying person, and and this is something that we're talking about darkness and something in the Tao where they talk about the mother of darkness, you know, Mm. and this is, and space, which is dark.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, this is really... Really, what I what what is on my mind a lot is just dark matter lives. There's there's truth about that. There's truth about that.
0: Yeah. So. Wow.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a
0: lot. Well, it's a lot, but it's it's also it's also it's also really beautiful, and I feel like um, I feel like I'm gonna end up uh, well, and and as is often the case with these podcasts, I end up thinking about this stuff um. Far, far, you know, long after the conversation has, has concluded, it's still rattling around in my head. And I have a suspicion that uh, as I finish up this biography, I'm reading uh, about Sun Ra right now, that maybe oh, yeah. uh, that maybe those ideas will bounce around in my head with even greater um, force. Um yes. And Lisa, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk about all this stuff on the podcast with me. This is a, these are strange times. And I, and I, and I, I'm, but I'm, I'm kind of moved and blown away by the, the force of what's happening all around us right now. Me too. Definitely. I, I feel even more hopeful than I did after, you know, speaking with you about this stuff. Thank you, Jason. I feel
1: the same way. It's, it's really, it's, it's, It's a, it is, it's a very interesting time to um, really just settle in like not know, uh, like not knowing and being, and and being, being surprised, also being able to hope to be pleasantly surprised. I think that's something that we can, we can practice, you know, we can, we're very practiced in um, anticipating the worst and we, and it's happened to us so many times, you know, Um, but it is a nice uh, counter practice to and within anticipate to be pleasantly surprised be might be surprised
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lisa thank you so much for, for coming on transmissions and speaking with me it's been a real joy
1: things thank you insane. Jason
0: is mother to provide in all living things is a yearn Listening to her song, the wind, the birds, the mother's song. Walking with her, we lay on her. She fills us. With herself, she will quench our wanderings. The stars will open, and we will be full in the love of force that binds the universe.
1: Vision designs our experience. Our words co mingle into elements of our future. We walk in dreams, we shape our shared reality.